Well, before Dan uh, comes to speak to us um, and, and explain this great victory speech um, of Jesus uh, from Acts chapter 2, um, Liz is going to, to read to us the passage is Acts 2, uh, 29 to 41. If you've got a Bible with, with you, please do uh, follow with us um, in your Bible. Um, thanks, Liz. I'll, I'll hand over to you now. Great. So it's Acts um, chapter 2, starting at verse 29. Fellow Israelites, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried and his tomb is here to this day. But he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was to come, he spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah, that he was not abandoned to the realm of the dead, nor did his body see decay. And God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of it. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit, and has poured out what you now see and hear. But David did not ascend to heaven, and yet he said, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptised, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptised and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Well, thanks, Liz. Um, that's amazing. I'm going to hand over to Dan now, who's going to explain that uh, to us. Thanks so much. Fantastic. Well, thank you, uh, Liz. Thank you, Phil. Uh, for leading. Uh, it's been fantastic and, and a really warm welcome uh, to everyone who's watching this evening. Really glad that you could be tuning in wherever you might be listening to this. Maybe you're in the garden right now. You're soaking in the sun. Uh, that's fantastic. Uh, maybe you're just watching at home uh, in the living room, in which case it's great that we can be together. And it's good, isn't it, to be around God's word and to hear that read out, especially on this day, Easter Sunday, where we've got so much to celebrate. Well, to start our evening, I want to say the gospel is news, not advice. Now, we've probably heard that before. In fact, I even used that phrase in a sermon I, I used uh, back in at Christmas. The gospel is news, not advice. But that, in essence, is the big point of our passage tonight. The gospel is news not advice. And our passage tonight is going to tell us, firstly, it will define for us what the gospel news is. And we'll see that it has really two implications for us. Firstly, it changes nothing. And secondly, it changes everything. Now, I know it just sounds like I've completely contradicted myself, uh, but hopefully at the end of tonight, we'll see that hopefully you'll think I'm less crazy than you might do at the moment. 
And I say that it has those particular applications because, well, that is what this gospel news does. It, it changes nothing because news can't be changed. It's an event, not an opinion. You know, often we can look at Jesus and we can look at the Christian message and we can think that maybe what Jesus offers us is just a bunch of advice, a bunch of take it or leave it, do this, do that. It's up to you. And the relevance of Jesus is based on my opinion of Jesus and whether we think that his claims are true or not. But you see, Christianity is so different and unique because its foundation is rested on news, not advice. That is something that has happened in history. And in one sense, our opinion of who we think Jesus is on, and on what our claims about whether we think he's true or not change nothing of the fact that it's happened. A God's not looking for our opinion to change, for history to change. And so Jesus then suddenly starts to become relevant. The gospel is news. In one sense, it changes nothing what opinion we hold of it. But this is also news that changes everything, because as we'll see tonight, there is no news more significant than the news that we're looking at tonight. This is news that is, to put it lightly, life changing for everyone. And when we come to hear and we come to trust in this news of who Jesus is and what he's done, what we're going to hear Peter explain this news to be tonight. This really is something that changes the whole way that we go about life. It changes the way that we do life. It changes the way that we think about life. There is no news more relevant to us today than this gospel news of 2000 years ago. And that's an incredible thought, isn't it? There's no news more relevant than this. And hopefully by the end of this evening, we're going to see why that is the case. And I really pray that if we're a Christian here tonight and we think that we know this already, I pray that our hearts and our minds would just be refreshed by hearing this gospel as Peter explains it. Well, as we go through Acts, uh, this passage tonight, I've just got two points, two questions that will frame uh, as we go through it. The first one is what God has done. That's what God has done. Now we're in Acts chapter two this evening. And last week we heard from Josh, didn't we? So wonderfully, the start of this speech that Peter, one of Jesus' closest disciples, is giving. Already in Acts, we've seen uh, that at Pentecost, the Holy Spirit is poured out on the disciples of Jesus as they're sitting in this upper room uh, and they're able, it seems, to speak in lots of different languages. The Holy Spirit comes on them. It's, it's, it's like rushing winds, like tongues of fire upon them. And they begin being able, given this ability to speak in languages that well, they wouldn't have been able to speak beforehand, which is crucial in the book of Acts, because in Jerusalem at this moment that Pentecost is taking place, well, there are Jews, there are people from all nations we see who are gathered in the city for this festival that is taking place. It's buzzing, Jerusalem is at the moment, buzzing with loads of different people from all different nations gathered together in the city. It's, it's like the Olympics a bit when it you know, goes to a city and you've got people from all nations kind of gathered in uh, in this city for this event. And in the midst of this already lively atmosphere that you would have been able to sense if you were in Jerusalem back then, 
you then get these random bunch of people who miraculously are able to communicate in lots of different languages this news about what God has done and crowds as you would imagine something like this taking place are being drawn in to what's happening on the streets of Jerusalem they're they're listening they're watching these followers of Jesus what they're doing and what they're saying and some in verse 13 of Acts 2 say that the disciples well they're drunk and they almost use that as an explanation as to what's happening but Peter sees this crowd that's gathering this crowd that well we can work out is thousands of people this isn't just you know a couple of hundred people this is a massive crowd Peter sees this crowd that's gathering round and he seizes the opportunity he seizes the opportunity to tell these worshippers these people who live in Jerusalem these people who are visiting Jerusalem the good news of what God has done I wonder this evening if you had to boil down the gospel message of Christianity into one sentence, what would it be? Now, I know that seems like an impossible task on the sounds of it. And we might say, oh, well, you know, we, we would mention something, uh, we'd, we'd throw in the cross into a sentence like that. Or, and we'd also have to mention the resurrection or maybe forgiveness is, is a big idea that we would put into that sentence or, or eternal life, we might say. Some of us might even say, well, I wouldn't make it up. I'll just use John 3.16 as my one sentence summary of, of what the gospel uh, is about Jesus. But this evening, I think that what Peter says in verse 36 of our passage probably is one of the best one sentence summaries of the gospel message you can find anywhere. Look with me. It's not just a great summary of the gospel, but a great summary of our passage tonight. Uh, he, he says, verse 36, look with me. He says, therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. <laughs> now, I know that we might be thinking, we might just gloss over that. And we think, oh, of course, Peter would say something like that. You know, he kind of follows Jesus, of course. But this is staggering. And as I've been reading through this this week, it is just unbelievable, that verse that we've just read out. Because this statement that Peter makes, this conclusion, you could say, that summarises so much of what Peter's been saying, is as sobering and terrifying as you could possibly imagine. At one uh, program that I think is just fantastic, I love watching it, is uh, Undercover Boss. I wonder if you've ever seen it. If you haven't seen it, the principle is very uh, explanatory, as you might have heard in the title, Undercover Boss. But you basically get introduced to this CEO who's you know, leading this big company. And the CEO goes undercover. He, he, he goes into disguise, changes his look, you know, their look. Uh, and so, you know, he or she, whatever it might be, goes into uh, their company and mixes with the employees. And they take on jobs that, you know, they would have never imagined a CEO doing. And they get trained up by their employees. And basically, it's a chance for them to see firsthand uh, what their employees uh, are really like and what they make of the company. And, and the best bit of the program comes right at the end where the CEO, uh, he or she kind of 
reveals themselves to their employees at the end and you see some of the reactions of the employees as they realize what is dawning on them you know some laugh in disbelief some cry and some just look terrified because they realize the way that they've treated that person who is now the ceo and the ceo then now gives his feedback on their performance and here in peter's speech i think it's a bit like undercover boss the reveal where Peter declares that this Jesus, Jesus of Nazareth, that these crowds had not just heard and seen, but had only recently been baying for his blood and crying out that he would be crucified. Peter's saying that Jesus is Lord and Messiah. God has made that Jesus king of everything. Peter says. And Peter really goes into it, doesn't he? He says, this Jesus whom you crucified. Can you imagine what that would be like to hear? Especially maybe if there are some religious leaders around. That Jesus that was so hated, so rejected in Jerusalem over that Easter weekend. God has made that Jesus king of everything. You know, it's one thing to treat your CEO poorly and then the worst thing is where you lose your job. It's another thing to have presided and action the crucifixion and torture of Jesus, who now Peter says is Lord of all. And to appreciate and really understand what Peter is talking about when he says Jesus has been made Lord and Messiah, a good place for us to look and to see what that means is Psalm, Psalm 2. No doubt this psalm would have been brought to mind as Peter's explaining uh, this to the people around him, because Psalm 2 is a psalm all about God's Messiah, God's King and his enthronement on the throne. And let me read it to you. Psalm chapter 2, we might want to flick in our Bibles if we have it, but I'll read it to us. It says, why do the nations conspire and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us break their chains and throw off their shackles. The one enthroned in heaven laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. He rebukes them in his anger and terrifies them in his wrath, saying, I have installed my king on Zion, my holy mountain. I will proclaim the Lord's decree. He said to me, you are my son. Today I have become your father. Ask me and I will make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth, your possession. You will break them with a rod of iron and you will dash them to pieces like pottery. Therefore, you kings, be wise. Be warned, you rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and celebrate his rule with trembling. Kiss his son or he will be angry and your way will lead to destruction for his wrath can flare up in a moment. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. This is the king that the crowds would have going round in their minds when Peter says that Jesus has been made both Lord and Messiah. 
Can we imagine now just how terrifying that verse is now? I'm going to read it again and just let this imagery of that psalm soak in. Peter says, verse 36, therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. It's quite sobering, isn't it? It would have been terrifying to hear that. You know, gospel news, good news, you could say, it would have been a term well known uh, for those living at that time. It was a word that had major links to the Roman emperors, the gospel, good news. It would have been something that would have been proclaimed, heralded uh, whenever there was a new emperor come to be in charge of Rome. It would have been heralded whenever the emperor won a great victory in battle. And this is what's at heart of the Christian gospel, the Christian good news, the announcement that Jesus is king and not just a king like Caesar, a king like Psalm 2, a king of kings, a king over everything. What has God done? Well, he's installed his king over everything. Jesus has all power, all authority, all things over his feet. He rules, he reigns. That is at the heart of what the gospel is. The news that has echoed down generations and generations. Jesus is the king. And therefore, it goes back to something that we were looking at the start. In one sense, this is news that changes nothing. If someone living back then heard that there was a new emperor, well, it's news. It can't be changed. You don't get a referendum on it. This news isn't changing because you hold a different opinion. It's happened. It's history. You see, maybe this evening, this is maybe a new perspective on things that we hadn't seen before. I know it has been for me. You see, naturally as humans and intensified maybe in our Western culture that we live in, we, lit, we view life, you could say, with us as the sun and everything else around us revolving around us. We look at life with us at the centre of it, you could say. I mean, isn't that how we think? Isn't that what our culture through every advert, every film subco- subconsciously teaches and communicates? We're at the centre of the universe. And yet the gospel news that we are looking at tonight, it tells us that life is completely the opposite way around. In fact, what we've seen tonight is that the gospel message says Jesus is at the centre of the universe. He is the reason for its creation. He is the most significant person and we revolve around him. The gospel says to us, stop whatever you are doing and recognise who is really at the heart of things. And it's Jesus, Peter says. It's Jesus. He is the king. And that was a shock. That was sobering for the people listening to Peter's speech back then. And it's a shock to us today. Peter tells us Jesus, he's at the centre of everything. And if that is true, then that means that things like questions like we might have of what's the meaning of life? What's the purpose of life? What what do I do in life? Well, they're all questions that find their answer when we look at Jesus. I love what C.S. Lewis says. He says, he says that I believe in Christianity 
as I believe that the sun has risen, not only because I see it, but because by it, I see everything else. I know that not everything that happens in our lives makes sense. And we don't understand why lots of things happen. But that's not what C.S. Lewis is saying here. But there is a sense that if we're confused about life, confused about big questions that we have, confused maybe even about suffering, we'll ask ourselves, do we have Jesus at the centre of our worldview here? Is he at the heart of it or am I? Because C.S. Lewis is right in saying that a greater realisation of Jesus brings greater clarity in life simply because he is the one in whom all of life revolves around. You know, if we really struggle with suffering, which is so hard, look at suffering through the lens of Christ, this Messiah, this King who suffered so greatly. Look at life with Christ at the heart as he affirms that life is fleeting and and actually this life isn't the most important, but actually eternity is coming and that matters more than anything. Look at death with Christ at the centre, knowing that today we celebrate the, the news that death is dead and Jesus lives. Jesus is at the centre of everything. And that changes so much of the way that we look at life. What has God done? Well, God has made Jesus Lord and Messiah. This is news, not advice. And finally, this evening, well, what, what God has done, he's done that. But finally, what shall we do? What shall we do? You see, this message, this speech that Peter makes, it has an incredible effect. As we see at the end, 3,000 people respond to this message. And in verse 38, it says, when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? The reality had sunk in for these listeners hearing what Peter was saying. It's dawns on them. God's made Jesus Lord and Messiah, and they were responsible for the death and his torture on the cross. Imagine for a moment. Imagine for a moment that you were unjustly tortured and executed and mocked and humiliated by those around you. And then you were given all power and all authority to do whatever you wanted. What would we do? I know what I would do. I would want to go back to those people that treated me so horrifically and bring justice and judgment like anything. I think that's probably what maybe most of us might feel. But this evening, this is what I love about Jesus. This is just why I love Jesus so much. Honestly, I want us to be blown away by this. You see, even though that's what I would do, if that's how I was treated, and that's what we've got to remember Christ will do for those who keep rejecting him. But do you see what where this passage leaves us? Do you see what Jesus actually offers us? Peter, in response to this crowd's hopeless and despairing question, what shall we do? Peter responds with an incredible statement. He says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift 
of the Holy Spirit. What shall we do? Turn to the one, Peter says, you rejected. Turn to the one you crucified. Because this Jesus, who's been made a king greater than we could ever imagine, he offers so much mercy, so much grace. He says, I will not hold that against you. Turn to me. That's what repent means. Change your mind. Turn from the way you're living. Turn from rejecting me. Turn from holding yourself at the center of the universe and receive from me full forgiveness, unquestioned forgiveness. I mean, does news get any better than that? And this evening, if we maybe resonate with those in the crowd, you know, we, we feel cut to the heart tonight this evening because we know that we haven't loved. We haven't loved or maybe even liked Jesus. And yet we realise this evening that actually Jesus, he is king. Like Peter says, he has been made Lord and Messiah. And that is something that we cannot change, whatever opinion we hold of Jesus. Well, this Jesus offers forgiveness to you tonight. And he says, repent, just turn and be baptized. And Jesus won't just offer forgiveness, but do you see the promise in our passage? He offers new life too. He says, receive the gift of the Holy Spirit too. God himself will dwell in us, walking with us, strengthening us in our weakness. This news that in one sense changes nothing is also news that changes everything for us tonight. And I wonder if we have already, maybe this evening, if we already would say that we have asked Jesus for this forgiveness. We, we are those that follow him and we're those that have received this new life by his Holy Spirit. Well, this evening, know that this repentance is often an ongoing process. We get sidetracked, we mess up, we slip into wrong ways of thinking. And there really is a common form of Christianity that we see around us that thinks that it's all about me. A Christianity that makes much of who I am and makes much of God thinking that almost I'm at the centre of his universe. A Christianity that, well, thinks that, yeah, we are the things that everything else revolves around but this evening that is not the gospel this is not the gospel that peter tells us about because the gospel that peter says is that christ is at the center of this universe the gospel tells us that whilst jesus loves us so much it is us that ought to make much of him you know what kind of witnesses i guess will people see in us as people who love jesus if we're still the most important person in our universe. People need to see as followers of Jesus that we love him and we hold him at the center of everything we do in our lives. That is when the gospel starts to be noticed. The gospel tonight is news, not advice. I hope we've seen that tonight. I hope we've seen that the gospel changes nothing. We, we, we can't change it. What's happened? God's done this. That's, that's what God has done. Nothing's changed. And yet this is something, this is news that changes everything for us tonight. 
a gospel that can be summarized by what Peter says. He says, let's read it again. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God's made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. What should we do this evening? Well, turn to him, be baptized and receive from this Jesus full forgiveness and love like you've never known. Oh, let's pray. Lord Jesus, we recognise this evening that you are the king. We recognise that the gospel is news, a declaration that you, Lord Jesus, are king of everything. And Lord Jesus, we want to have this Christ-centred view of life. Lord Jesus, we confess the times where we've held our own our own lives at the centre and the, the forefront of our minds. But Lord Jesus, we want to be people who just love you so much and recognise the most amazing truth that life revolves around you, that everything in life brings clarity, finds purpose, finds meaning when we look to you. Oh, Lord Jesus, would you help us this week, whatever we're doing, wherever we are, to hold this view and to realise that to reject you is the worst thing we could do. But Lord Jesus, help us to turn to you, to keep turning to you and to receive this forgiveness that you offer in your name. Lord Jesus, we praise you. You are so merciful. You are so merciful, Lord Jesus, that you would do this to those who have rejected you. Oh, Lord Jesus, you are full of grace and you are full of love. Help us, we pray. Draw us close to yourself. Amen.